Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Thank you, Matt. It's so good to be with you today at Woodside Bible, the Troy campus. doesn't seem possible it's been two years since Pastor Anderson and uh, Pastor Chris Brooks and I stood here and kind of handed the baton off. And uh, as I look back now, it just, uh, it's amazing. I'm so thankful to God for uh, his timing. His timing was perfect in the sense that we could not have done this transition during COVID. Uh, it happened before COVID. Uh, but I'm thankful more than the timing of God. I'm thankful for the provision of God. We had been in a five-plus-year process of succession planning and prayer and research and uh, more prayer, and God brought Pastor Chris and Yodi here. Are you glad for, that God, for God's provision? And they have been a blessing to Woodside big time, and you know it was, it's been a very difficult time to pastor. Um, a couple of months ago, I was asked to speak on Zoom to all the pastors, the Baptist pastors in Ontario. And the topic I was given was how to pastor during difficult times. And I told the, the man who called me, I said, I can't do that. I don't have uh, uh, experience or credibility on that topic because when I pastored, it was relatively easy. Times have gotten very, very difficult, certainly around the world, but in the United States as well. I ended up teaching, but on a different topic. It's, so pray for Pastor Chris and his team and for every evangelical pastor in the area. We've been doing, uh, uh, working with Pastor, I'm trying to keep up with Pastor Anderson, by the way. He's, uh, <laughs> but we're, we're doing a lot of mentor groups with young pastors. 50% uh, of young pastors won't make it to five years. And also 14 to 1,700 pastors leave every month. And, and uh, we believe at Woodside here that the answer to the problems of today is Jesus Christ. And the church is the messenger. The church has to deliver the gospel. And it, it depends on the effectiveness of the leadership. So pray for, pray, pray for Pastor Chris, if you would, at this time. I can, I'm thrilled to be here today. Pastor Chris and Yodi have been so kind to Carolyn and to me and asking us to preach today along with many other kindnesses. But um, I had to envision this way, that they were, the team was together and scheduling and so forth, and Pastor Chris said, well, on the 23rd of May, I'm going to be up at Romeo for the, for the dedication of the new building. And by the way, isn't that fantastic, the, the opening there? And... Uh, so I probably said to the team, I'm going to need somebody to preach for me at Troy. Like, who would, who would be available and willing to do it? Every hand went up. And then he said, we're starting a series on lamentations. <laughs> Every hand went down. <laughs> and so they talked about it a little bit. No one was available. Everybody was busy. And so they thought, you know, um, maybe we should just cancel that day. We can't get anybody to preach Lamentations. And somebody said, you know, when I think of death and dying and funerals, I think of Pastor Doug. <laughs> so what they didn't know is that Lamentations is one of my favorite books. Would you join me there? The book of Lamentations, that's the part of your Bible where your pages are stuck together. 
By the way, if you came today hoping you'd get some of that unique Schmidt humor that my wife in 47 years has yet to recognize, <laughs> I can't do anything with Lamentations, so uh, sorry about that. Uh, lamentations is an invitation to lament. Why lament? Why lament? It's in lamenting that we're able to ask the hard questions to God. Like, how could this happen? What did I do to deserve this? And God, are you watching? Do you see? You say, you can ask God those questions? If you're thinking them, he knows your thoughts, you might as well ask them. And he invites you to. What we find in the book of Lamentations is uh, uh, the permission slip to lament. Not only a permission slip, but also um, almost an injunction. You've got to lament. And through those difficult times of grieving and the lament of expressing pain and grief and sorrow, it's the beginning of a journey to find trust and hope and healing and truth. So we lament. The book of Lamentations, the background for it is around, the time is about 587 uh, uh, BC, and it was the southern kingdom where we call Judah. The northern kingdom was carried off into captivity in 722 BC. The southern kingdom, because they'd remained faithful longer, was still um, the chosen people of God, and they were in the land that God had promised. And, and Jeremiah was prophesying, and Jeremiah was preaching the same messages, uh, message after message. You've got to repent, you've got to repent, you've got to repent. But now the Babylonians had set up a kind of a puppet king, a man by the name of Zedekiah, who was really wishy-washy, uh, easily influenced, changed his, main, his, na- his mind repeatedly. And so what happened is that he was a puppet king for Babylon, and he changed his mind and moved his allegiance to Egypt, to the south and to the west. Well, Babylon said that's it. So they came in, surrounded the city, 589 B.C. When they surrounded the city, they cut off the, the food supply. So it was just a matter of time. And yet for the people living in that city, they thought, we've been here before. We've been here decades earlier. The Assyrians surrounded our city when Hezekiah was our king. And we prayed. Isaiah was the prophet that time, and he prayed, and God miraculously preserved us. There was a rumor of war way up to the north. The Assyrians had to retreat, and in one night, the angel of the Lord struck down 185,000 Assyrians, and the city was preserved. So the people living in the city are trusting in their walls, and they're trusting in their God, sort of. They'd been idolatrous for years. And I imagine some of them were thinking, okay, God, just save us again. But this time was different. In 587, the summer of that year, the Nebuchadnezzar army broke through the walls, tore down the temple, and set the city on fire. And the the southern kingdom of Judah was carried off into captivity. The king, Zedekiah, watched his sons be killed. His eyes were plucked out, and he in shackles was carried off into captivity across the desert to Babylon. This is their 9-11. This is their Pearl Harbor. But this was even worse because it was because of them. It was their fault. It was their disobedience. The book 
of Lamentations is not a sequel to the book of Jeremiah, but rather a response to it. The book of Jeremiah is a story of that continuation of disobedience and, and God's faithfulness in providing a, a messenger, and then the destruction. And in the smoldering ruins of the city of Jerusalem, the once glorious city whose walls were down and his temple trampled, a prophet, I believe Jeremiah, it had to be an eyewitness to the accounts, but the, the book itself doesn't identify as Jeremiah, wrote this beautiful beautiful series of poems using two literary devices that help us a lot even as we try to understand our own pain. The first one was the acrostic. Acrostic is uh, it's a, it's using the alphabet and you notice every one of those five poems is either 22 verses or some uh, multiple of 22. The Hebrew alphabet had 22 letters and so each verse began with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And say, why would they do that? They did it because, for two reasons. One of them was to help them to memorize. They would memorize those, uh, um, all those verses. The second was to communicate completeness. That they're identifying their pain, they're articulating their pain, and they're expressing their pain from A to Z. That's really important to do, folks, when we're going through pain. There are some of us who just want to blow it off and say, I'm going to plow through this. Uh, my wife and I have a, a friend, a relative, in fact, who doesn't believe that you should ever cry. She's gone to the funerals of, of her relatives and stayed strong. And you say, well, you've got to cry. She said, no, I'm trusting in the Lord. The Lord is saying, it's okay to lament. It's okay to ask the hard questions. You have to. Never losing trust but asking God, how does this work? What did I do? The second literary device was what's called a chiastic structure. And what it is, it's, a, it's the building of the story. And it had to be done with um, such precision. So part of chapter one relates to part of chapter five, uh, and it keeps going like this until you get to the pinnacle of that apex. And they purposely did that to drive you to the story of the apex. And that piece right there is the best preaching in the book of Lamentations. Whoever gets that assignment um, is going to enjoy that day rather than Lamentations chapter 1. <laughs> so you, you'll, I won't share any more with you on that, but you'll get it when you get there. And it's a very, very exciting. And it's the reason for we have hope. So that's the book of Lamentations in a nutshell. It's a, an expression of lament. Lamentations or lamenting can either be personal or it can be uh, communal. Personal is when we go through issues and stuff and we don't understand it's family issues, it's divisions, it's heartache, it's cancer. Communal issues are what we deal with as a community, a church, or even as a nation. And we cry out our lament to God. Let's go through these three questions, um, starting with the first one, and that is, how could this happen? How could this happen? I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and the, follow along as I read uh, in these verses. Um, and again, he's, he's going to talk about the city of Jerusalem, but he's going to, the city is going to be personified as a woman, this woman who was once beautiful, once glorious, 
Uh, the city was, cities were, the glory of the city were its walls. So to have a city that is called an unwalled city, it's a city that was small and insignificant. So the bigger the walls, the greater the glory. The city of Jerusalem had it all. It was a glorious city. But the, notice what happens to this woman who was once glorious. Now because of her, uh, of her involvement with, with false religions or idolatry, she becomes really a prostitute to where, notice the words, let me read. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She, is, she was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night. She, tear, she tears on her, with tears on her cheeks. Among, among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have done treacher, dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude, back to slavery. She dwells among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. What just happened is a city representing the southern kingdom has all gone into captivity. They came from captivity. Many years earlier, after serving 400 years in captivity in Egypt, God brought them out miraculously. Remember those plagues? And he led them, led them through, and then he led them through the Red Sea, then brought them to the brink of the Promised Land. That was God. <clears throat> he brought them from slavery, and the prophets were always to remind the, the Old Testament community of faith, don't ever forget your redemption. Don't ever forget where you were and how God has brought you out. Just like we're never to forget the, the cross. And we're never to forget that day when the cross made a difference in our lives. We celebrate communion, so we'll never forget. They, in, in fact, um, years later when the children of Israel were carried into captivity into Babylon, Psalm 137 records the account where he said the children of Israel gathered around the rivers of Babylon as they cried out, don't let us ever forget Jerusalem. If we ever forget Jerusalem, let our right arm lose its cunning and our tongue cleave to the roof of our mouth. That's what Jerusalem had meant to them. They had come out of slavery and now they're going right back into slavery. Um, how could this be happening? How could it happen? When we read this passage, uh, my mind goes in so many places to our own personal pain I was thinking this week of how many over the years, 31-year-olds I've, I've buried. 31-year-olds aren't supposed to die before their parents or grandparents. Now, I've done two 31-year-olds in the last year, both from Woodside Bible. One of them is a young man who grew up in our church and a gregarious, fun-loving guy and uh, moved to the Chicago area and got married and had three little children. And I got the call one day saying that he's, he died. And they asked if I could do a funeral via Zoom. And I said, absolutely not. You can't do a funeral for a 31-year-old with Zoom. We made our way to Chicago, and it was surreal because in COVID, you can't even grieve well. The, the, the functions, the rules, the stipulations don't allow it. There was a drive-by visitation. 
the families lined up outside of a funeral home as a, people drive by in their cars and roll down the windows and talk for a minute or two and then drive on. The funeral was 12 people allowed at that time in Illinois. And you can't, you can't express, you can't comfort while social distancing. My wife um, went to this 31-year-old widow and embraced her and held her. And she thanked my wife. These kids are trying to figure it all out. We went to the graveside. And the graveside, uh, now there's about 50 people forming a semicircle, about 50 feet um, around the, uh, the, the, the graveside. And the casket was lowered into the ground, flowers were there. The father and the mother of the, the young man, along with his sister, walked about 40 feet away to where they had buried another daughter when she was age five. So three of, two of their three children were buried 40 feet apart. And as I sat and watched this, or stood and watched this, I thought, how could this happen? It's okay to ask that. How could this happen? And I drove away, we drove away on our way back to Michigan. And I thought, Lord, this isn't right. This pain and this sorrow. And, and the Lord had to remind me that he's the great shepherd of the sheep. And while we couldn't, we had to social distance. God doesn't follow those rules. God embraces and said, come unto me, all you are weary and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. And he did it then. And he continues to do it every day of our lives. Um, how could this happen? How could it happen? Dr. Jim Greer, a great friend of ours and a friend of Woodside Bible, years ago he was a great help to us as a church, our leadership in particular, as he would keep us abreast of what was happening in contemporary theological trends and, uh, and did a lot of teaching and we did uh, some um, uh, staff development through him. He's preached here on this platform uh, at least a couple of times. Then he himself came down with cancer. And I remember reading his letters, some letters, some email during the last few months of his life. And one of his letters said this, he said, you know, I've never paid much attention to the Psalms of lament before, but these songs of lament have been my companions night and day. By songs of lament, he's referring to the book of Psalms. And there are a number of those Psalms that were written for the purpose of lamenting and go to those Psalms and read them. Psalm 42, Psalm 43. Why go I mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? My tears have been my meat day and night as they continually say unto me, where is my God? As a deer pants after the water brook, so my spirit pants after thee, O God. Um, those are good to pray. He would always sign off his letters with these words, a pilgrim, getting closer to the gates, Jim. He went through those gates a few years ago, but through him I learned that it's okay to lament. Not only is it okay, it's almost required that we lament and ask the hard questions. The second hard question that we find in the next few verses is the question of what did I do to deserve this? How many times have you asked that? What did I do to deserve this? Every time you get pulled over, right? What did I do to deserve this? Hypothetically speaking, of course. 
Let me, let me read these verses. But before I do, um, imagine the contrast. First of all, with this city of Jerusalem in its glory days. And then what happened with its destruction, 587, where Zedekiah, eyes plucked out, his son's killed, he's carried off into captivity. The children of Israel are carried off into captivity. Judah, it's horrible. But imagine that contrast as I read these verses. The roads of Zion or Jerusalem mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her virgins have been afflicted, and she herself suffers bitterly. And imagine with you, if you would, that every year it was required that all of the men from all over Israel converge on Jerusalem for three big festival days. Imagine at that time the festival and the, the joy, the celebration, the music, um, the, the Psalms of Ascent are written about those times of coming up to worship, those 15 Psalms, Psalm 120 through one, Psalm 134. Just celebration. But now <clears throat> things have changed. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper. Because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture, that fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wanderings all the precious things that were hers from the days of old, when the people fell into the, the hand of the foe and there was none to help her. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked her at her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, Therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore her, her fall is terrible, and she has no comforter. Many times through the verses, the poems of lamentation, it's announced she was all alone. There was no one to help her. She had no comforter. She who was once glorious as the prince of the provinces has now become as a prostitute. The surrounding cultures had a practice of shaming a prostitute where they would lift the skirts to expose the nakedness. And that's what's happened to Jerusalem, God's chosen people. She has moved so far. And so in the lament, the question is asked, what did I do to deserve this? You probably don't know Pastor Tim Johnson. Um, Pastor Tim pastors a, a Salem Baptist Church in the south side of Chicago, and he's a really accountability partner with a friend of ours and a friend of Woodside, Harvey Carey, who pastors Citadel of Faith uh, down in Detroit. But just a few days ago, Pastor Tim and his wife Renee were over at their mother's house, 95-year-old lady, helping them, her do some spring cleanup. He's out in the backyard, really close to the back alley. Uh, he's got a shovel in his hand when a man comes down the alley and wants him to buy something. And, and Pastor Tim politely declined, at which time the man, a 28-year-old assailant, takes the shovel, hits him over the head with it, and then, like some horror movie, takes his fingers and plucks out his eyes and jabs a little piece of wood in, 
um, and then bites off part of the ears and the top of his head. The, his wife hears the, the sound, she comes running, yells, and he starts beating her, kicking her, biting off her parts of her ears. Um, fortunately, Pastor Tim was able to remove the obstacle, punch 911. This time the man had run away, but they caught him. A 28-year-old assailant, he's uh, being held on a $5 million bond right now. But I think of Pastor Tim recovering in the hospital, who's got to be asking, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to deserve this? As Jerusalem or Judah is asking this question, the answer comes in verse number five and verse number eight. They had sinned grievously against God. When God had called him, he called him to a high standard of obedience. At Ebal and Gerizim, he said, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey me, you'll be cursed. Life is going to be hard. And then through the previous 40 years, God through Jeremiah was reminding him. Jeremiah had the same message day after day, repent. If you don't repent, God's going to bring judgment. So they didn't respond well. They threw him in a guardhouse. They threw him in prison. They called him names. He preached the same message. If you don't repent, God's going to bring discipline. You've got to repent. They continue to do the same. Finally, it's getting right down to the end. The Babylonians had uh, surrounded the city, cutting off food supply. Food was very scarce. And Jeremiah says the same thing. Repent. Or God's going to bring discipline. And he mentioned the Babylonians as heathen nation. God's going to use the heathen nation to bring judgment on us. Some of the princes at that time went to the king Zedekiah and said, he's destroying the morale of our troops. He needs to be killed. So they threw him in a cistern, and there he would have been left, he would have left to die without any food had he not been rescued by a man by the name of Ebed Melech. It's an amazing story you'll find in Jeremiah chapter 38. I say all this to say, when we go through our pain, you can draw an indirect line from that pain all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. That's an indirect line. There would be no pain in our world. There'd be no rejection. There'd be no heartache. There'd be no cancer. There'd be no infant death syndrome. There would be none of that if it weren't for this. We live in a broken world. And so there's an indirect line. One day that's all going to change. When the Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse 4, one day God himself will wipe away every tear from their eye. There'll be no more crying, no more pain for the former things of life have passed away. Are you looking forward to that day, folks? We live in such pain today. That indirect line. However, we have to ask another question. What did I do to deserve this? Is there a direct line to sin? where those dots can be connected. And you say, this is the cause, this is the effect. And we just ask God the question. Sometimes it's obvious, isn't it? You find somebody that's, that's struggling for life in the hospital and you say, how did you get here? Well, I was driving under the influence and I ran into a bridge abutment. There's a connection, there's a line. So you ask the question, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? And wait for an answer. If it's not obvious, he may reveal it. If he doesn't reveal it, there's not a, cause, there's not a direct cause. 
Remember, this is the mistake that Job's uh, counselors were making. They tried to draw a line when there wasn't one. Where Job's counselor said, Job, you're going through this pain. Certainly you must have sinned against God. And Job said, I don't think so. Well, I th we think you have. Uh, let's be really careful, folks, about drawing direct lines where God doesn't draw them. Especially in somebody else's life. But ask the question, Lord, what have I done? Is there anything I've done to deserve this? Let's look at one last, uh, just the last few verses here and ask the third question, and that is, God, do you see? Do you see? O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Verse 10, the enemy has stretched out his hands over all his, her precious things. Can you imagine the temple there? For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. And all her people groan as they search for food. There's famine now because of the siege wall. They trade their treasures of food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, and see. You find at the end of verse number nine, O Lord, behold. Look at me, Lord. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. We read these verses and we have to ask, Lord, do you see? Do you know what I'm going through? Theologically, on our best days, we can answer that question. We know the truth, that the God uh, of all creation knows all and sees all. We sing about it, we believe it, we've read it here, we know it's true. But in the midst of the valley, the depth of our pain, um, we wonder about what we believe. And so we ask the question, Lord, do you see? Do you see what I'm going through? About a year and a half ago, a young couple from Woodside got married, Lexi and Nick. 18 months ago, about 14 months ago, she realized that she had cancer. And so she started um, uh, medication for that and chemo and so forth. She was in the hospital this last week because some of the, the new symptoms have indicated more difficulty. The cancer has spread to her brain and her spinal column. Um, and so she's going through a series of uh, three more radiation treatments. But she wrote in a text yesterday, she said, they've given me four to six weeks to live. Eighteen months ago, they said their vows to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse. Little did they know that the worst would be so bad and the worst would be so soon. I pray for them, if you would. Uh, Lexi and Nick, they desperately need the Woodside family at this time praying that God would give them strength. We know God ultimately heals Sometimes he heals immediately, miraculously. Sometimes he heals gradually, even using medical personnel. And sometimes God will work and heal ultimately. And we're ushered into the presence of the Lord. Pray for them if you would. He uses these words to challenge us and to say, God, do you see? And I ask the questions of God, do you see? You see my pain? I'm telling you my pain from A to Z. Look on it, 
And I'm wondering, Lord, if there's still time for repentance. I'm wondering, Lord, if you're going to bring healing. I'm wondering, Lord, what you're going to do with all of this. And the answer comes back to all of my questions with a cross. Because you know the story that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus into this world to live, to teach, to model, to die. When he died on the cross, we could ask the question, how could this happen? He's the God of the universe. When he's on the cross, we ask the question, what did he do to deserve this? And we come back with the answer, no, it wasn't his sin, it was yours. And then finally we ask, God, did you see this? And Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, video, the, the story I told you about Pastor Tim, if there was a video of that, most of us would not be able to watch it, would we? We'd turn our heads. And so in our lament, we, we ask God, God, have you turned your head? Do you see what's happening? And our answer comes resounding back through the words of Jesus, where he says, come unto me, all you will labor. And then he gives us promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's say that verse together. Let's memorize it. Blessed are those who, for they shall be comforted. All this is saying to us, folks, is the pain we go through is real. Let's not deny it. Let's not suppress it. Let's, let's express it from A until Z. And let's release it. In, in releasing, it's okay to ask hard questions. God can deal with that. Because in asking the hard questions, we move from our grief over time to healing, to trust, to faith, to hope. And we need that. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father and our God, I pray today for those here who may not know Jesus yet. And Father, in their pain, Father, help them to see that there's only one way of salvation. And Father, in this broken world, I can only imagine the depth of pain we see in this room. Father, I pray that you bring healing and hope. And Father, thanks for the permission and the injunction to lament. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday, I did a funeral at the Romeo campus for a lady who uh, died back on January 16th. And at that funeral, I saw another lady and our eyes made contact and I didn't recognize her at first. And she said, it's good to see you. And I said, remind me of your name. And she told me your name and she said, you buried our children 13 years ago. I said, I know you. And we talked, we, we, we reviewed the story. And she said, you remember that? I said, I'll never forget that. It was, it, was, it was a wintry day. And it was a husband and a wife and me placing in a graveyard the caskets of two twins. 
that were born and died. She went, they went through all the pain and asked all the hard questions. And we have to too, and it's okay, it's okay. The song that we're about ready to hear and, and participate in singing is a song that was written out of deep, deep lament over great family loss. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.